I want to rape it. I want to rape this novel. Radio Drome. Welcome to a long ingestation episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the drunk, sober, barely awake Canadian Serbian. Yeah. I summed it up, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The always on the go Cecil Trachtenberg. Yes, and I am not drunk because I don't drink. But if I did drink, I would probably be drunk. But you do have sex, right? Which is what you could do if you went to adamandeve.com and used the promo code DROME. You would get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. But also, I know you guys like to surf some of the darker parts of the internet, and you really should have some sort of a digital condom, which is NordVPN. If you go to 1201beyond, dot com backslash drome vpn it will take you to nord site where you can get a great deal of 75 percent off of a three-year plan it's only three dollars and 49 cents a month for digital protection that's that's an amazing deal nord will help protect your data you can get around region locking they can help encrypt your data if you're sending or receiving things it'll help you in some of the darker parts of the web go to 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. So that said, let's talk about development hell. Now, a lot of people misunderstand what development hell is. They'll talk about, like, well, they've been wanting to make this sequel for years. That's not development hell. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian is not development hell because no one was actually trying to make that movie. That was just something Warner Brothers said we wanted. That's not development hell. Development hell is when you spend years and years and years actively trying to make a movie. Sometimes it never happens. Sometimes it actually does happen. When you take decades to make a movie and it finally happens, it's not going to be, good or bad, the same movie that was going to be made 20 years earlier, just based on technology, casting, growing as a filmmaker, whatever. When you think of development hell, what movie jumps into your head? Uh, the one I've always been quite fascinated about is that Friday the 13th, I think part 7, was they had originally had it in mind to do Freddy vs. Jason, but there was rights conflicts with uh, New Line, and then later on down the line when Jason goes to hell, you get the Freddy glove at the end, so they were they still wanted to make it at that point, but there were all these all these different scripts that were rejected, and again, there was some sort of conflict going on, and then finally we eventually got it, I think, in what, like 2003 or 2004, but I, I always find it kind of fun to think about what an 80s version of, of Freddy vs. Jason would have been like if it would have been better, just, just to have been able to... I can tell you right now. I can tell you right now it would have been better. I'd say it would have been better. Because I hated that movie. That movie blew. Well, it would have been better strictly because we would have had Hotter as Jason. It would have had a a much better, proper vibe to it, I feel like. But I would have really liked to see what the version of it would have been in, like, 88 or 89 or 87 or or whatever time uh, Part 7 came out. But but that's the 
one that always makes me think of of like the purest form of of development hell because because that movie took like 20 years to make and then the final product wasn't worth it i i thought it was okay i thought it was all right It, it has its moments i liked freddy versus jason i agree that the 80s version probably would have been better but i did like what we ended up getting i like the fact that it exists rather than it just continuously being a pipe dream that everybody you know oh my god we gotta have these two people get together uh these two slasher uh anti-heroes for me the first thing that comes to my mind and this the end result unfortunately really sucked was originally titled id forever which was the independence 2 movie that oh, uh right. they wanted to do they started talking about it after the second one and or I'm sorry after the first one ended up being just a gargantuan hit and it took years and years and years it was going to be two movies at one point they were going to do you know shoot it back to back and release it cuz the the tagline for independence day was id4 so for this one it was going to be id4 ever that was like they're going to be their big tag that they were going to roll with they finally got it under production but fox had greenlit it as one movie instead of two but to end it on a sort of cliffhanger so that they would be able to you know uh, obviously it was going to do well and uh, they were going to do another one and it came out and man did it stink you you didn't have will smith aside from a picture of him in the film uh you had a whole cast uh that just you know these these young up-and-comers that are gonna fight the aliens and you had uh, thor's brother was like the lead they gave a much bigger part to um judd hirsch and it just it just it felt it just felt wrong. It it really and somehow I don't understand it, but um well I kinda do, but somehow the effects, the CG and whatnot, looked worse than the CG back in the nineteen ninety six film. It's cause they went all CG as opposed to a mixture of CG and yeah. animatronics. And it just, it really, really fell short. I was so depressed because I was really excited for this. I wanted it to be good. I thought the concept was there to have, you know, all right, now we've developed the aliens technology and we can take the fight back to them. And it just, oh, every cliche in the book. And they really, I want to know what the original version was 20 years ago. You know, or how, or, or exactly, you know, well now, what, 22 years ago. I actually think what offended me the most about that movie was the stealth join the Navy marketing. I'm not joking. They had this whole marketing game where you could join the Space Force and everything, and it would actually redirect to the U.S. Navy's website. They had a deal with the U.S. Navy to try and trick people into accidentally joining the Navy. Oh, and I think that's even, th- 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 that is just so beyond fucking sleazy. Usually when it comes to developing hell sometimes it's original projects but in a lot of cases it is either adaptations or sequels to things because there are so many on my list here that are adaptations neuromancer they've been trying to make william gibson's neuromancer for i think i first read about this in the early 90s that they were trying to make this and every two or three years you still get an announcement we're about ready to start neuromancer and then it never happens Mm -hmm. and then we're about we're we're getting ready to start neuromancer it never happens i don't know why this movie just cannot seem to get off the ground 
Personally, the version that they're trying to make now, I don't want to see get off the ground. Hayden Christensen is at- is attached to Star, and he Ooh. can't act to save his life, <laughs> so th- that's bad. And to show just how little care they have for the source material, the main character in the book is named Case. He's a hacker. He's a sleazeball. They've changed his name to Cage in this because, and I quote, it sounds more badass than Case. I'm thinking to myself, you clearly don't care about the source material, so I don't ever want your version of Neuromancer to make it off the ground, despite the fact that that's one of the most groundbreaking novels ever written. Yeah, I always crack up when they pull that kind of nonsense where change in name, like something so inconsequential, but it just shows how petty it is. It's like, no, keep the names of the characters. Oh, it sounds cooler. Maybe to you. But when you're adapting something, like, if, all right, go write your own book or whatever and, and do that. And you can name them Cage. Naming, but taking a name of something and changing it, it's like all that's going to do is piss off the people who are already fans of the book, which should be your primary audience that you're trying to cater to. It's like with Total Recall. He was Quail in the book. But they didn't think Arnold would be right playing a character named Quail, which is this timid little bird. So he became Quaid. Ah, for crying out loud, he played Gordy Brewster. Those elements alone of of hearing that, like, they changed the name because it sounds cooler this way. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be adapting this then because it doesn't sound like you're that that big a fan of the book, which you should be if you're adapting something. Mephisto and Onyx from Harlan Ellison. They have been trying to make Mephisto and Onyx since 1993 or four or, or so, I remember reading about this in magazines every couple of years. Gregory Wyden was attached, the creator of Highlander. Samuel L. Jackson was going to star as Rudy. And obviously now he's too old to star as Rudy. You'd have to get somebody like Donald Glover or something now. Well, Mephis- Mephisto and Onyx, I can, strangely enough, I can see why this movie would probably be better today than it would have been in the 90s. Because this movie, you kind of have to read it to understand. This movie is borderline unadaptable, which with CG technology today, you could really do the jaunting into landscapes and things way better than you could have in the 90s. If this movie ever does get off the ground, I actually think today's technology might actually, might make it better. Mm. I know how weird that sounds. Mephisto and Onyx has been in gestation for over 20 years, and they still keep saying, we're going to make it. Well, yeah, you're going to make it before I die? <laughs> hmm. Sometimes you just get you get source material that you can't do much with, like Naked Lunch. They tried to make Naked Lunch for decades before David Cronenberg finally figured out a way to do it, because if you've ever read Burroughs' Naked Lunch, there isn't really a plot. It really is no story. It's a collection of just random weirdness. David Cronenberg geniusly wound it all together in a way that you needed the right writer and director to helm this thing. Yeah, I I can't see being made in the 70s or 80s. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't realize it took it it so long to get made, but um, Cronenberg was uh, definitely the right choice for the project. It's a very bizarre film that... um, It's one of those things where I there are certain properties where they seem so hell-bent on getting them made. Speed Racer movie, I know they were trying to do that for like 25 years or something, and then they finally did and it's just like, alright, why? Like, <laughs> like we I, waited 20 years for that? It's like, I don't understand, like like certain properties, I don't get the this complete batshit passion to get we need this as a movie, and you look at it and you're like, eh, you really don't. Like, like they're, they're so hell bent on making a live action Akira. And it's like, no, 
Like it <laughs> doesn't don't. need to happen. It really like except the, it is the oh. perfect. Well, it it is, it is, and it is, and is, and it keeps going back and forth. I mean, they had uh, what Tiki with Waki, Tiki. I I always mess up his name. If yeah, he, he is. He ended up adapting it. I'll I'll drown myself in shit. He yeah was he he is horrible. I hate him. Terrible. Like I can't stand him. And he was go. I love Akira. And when he was announced, I said, "Well, I guess I'm not seeing Akira." Akira does not need a readaptation. It's already not only a perfect animated film, but it's a great science fiction film just on its own. I don't even see it as like an animation or, or whatever. I don't lump it in with, oh, the top, top 50 best animated movies or whatever. No, I, I consider it to be like a perfect cyberpunk film. It, it doesn't need a live action film because any live action version is going to be, it's going to be lesser than what they were able to do with the animated version and what the story did with that. It's just going to be some regurgitated American remake trash like Ghost in the Shell was, like Alita was. All these movies suck. Like Dragon Ball Evolution was. Like, stop it. Stop it. You brought up Battle Angel. That's another one. I've got old Wizard magazines from the 90s where James Cameron's like, my next movie is going to be an adaptation of Battle Battle Angel Alita. It's like, yeah, James, no, it's not. <laughs> he, he's he's been he's been trying to make this movie since the 90s. I mean, he produced it, but really Robert Rodriguez ended up making it for him. Yeah. And it blew. I oh, I know everybody everybody fell all over themselves for Battle Angel and I'm like, "No. Well, this this sucks." Why well, you're you're a curmudgeon. Like, I- I wanted to like it, but I couldn't get past the the CG face. I, I saw no point. The actress they got already looked like Alita. The big eyes are just... It's an animation thing. It doesn't mean the character has big, giant doll eyes. Like, I found that really cringeworthy and really annoying to sit through. Like, there's just certain things, if, if it's like a consistent thing throughout the film, and with that that aesthetic choice, I couldn't I couldn't get behind it. I really, it really made me look at the producers and, and the filmmakers themselves as just really over the hill, and they didn't get that in, like, you know, the manga and stuff like that, that's more like, it's the way they, they drew the characters. Every character had ginormous eyes. It's anime. That doesn't mean that Alita is supposed to have big eyes the, the actress they got i forget her name but she was Rose, actually a really uh, good salazar i believe yeah she was a really good choice for alita she looks kind of like what a, a real life version of her would look like and they just jizzed all over her with this crappy cg that's just so glaringly obvious just ah god just sticking with james cameron also going back to the 1990s he announced avatar all the way back in 1995. God. He'd been, tre- he'd been, it, it took him 20 years to make Avatar. No, I hated Avatar. That movie fucking sucked. I was angry at how much that movie sucked. But imagine that movie in 1995 though. Oh boy. It would have been pretty much, uh, actors in blue body paint. Probably, yeah. I mean, or it would have been just drastically different because there was a lot of things that they just could not do. I mean, he was still tinkering with, with CG and stuff at the time. So there really was a lot of stuff that just hadn't been invented yet to be able to get them to do what they did in, uh, in the actual released movie. Well, so. yeah. I mean, for a lot of the stuff that Cam- that Cameron made, it was kind of what technology was available at the time. Like they made, they made Terminator 2 because there were advancements in special effects technologies that they were able to do in the abyss and they transferred those sort of liquid metal kind of sort of water effects to use for like the T-1000 that they used similar effects for in the abyss and then obviously with Avatar they were able to do all that world building stuff with more of the the CG technologies from from the 2000s so I kind of I get why it took so long but it's like 
now we have like what five other sequels for Avatar being like filmed at the same time that they seem to keep halting production on because I guess the technology keeps changing. So we're going to get what Avatar three or Avatar two in like 2025 or something like it's crazy like thing is in general like i mean i liked avatar i I don't think that it was the greatest movie ever made i thought actually titanic was was far better but i understood people went to see it because of the spectacle they went to see it because it was you know you could get the the this amazing immersive 3d experience that had never been done before with the new ones coming out even people that enjoyed it are like "Eh, i really don't see the point but the thing is i will be willing to give cameron the benefit of the doubt because he stuck behind titanic it came out and it was the highest grossing film of all time he went Mm. away for 10 years came back and released avatar a movie that nobody really knew about it it was an original quote-unquote ip fern gully or pocahontas but um (laughs) and and it was also plagiarized by the six different people who have sued him over that movie but regardless of what i'm saying i'm basing it on the the uh technology of the film he stuck behind it it came out and he broke his own record of the highest grossing film of all time so now everybody's talking about how they don't want avatar 2 and i'm willing to err in favor of well maybe the guy that has made like a bajillion blockbusters might know what he's doing so i'm willing to kind of see what uh see what avatar 2 brings to the table before i completely shit all over it it's just, it'd just be nice if we didn't have to wait like 15 years for it one of the ones i know i'm a little older than you guys so i remember reading about this in the late 70s hammer was supposed to make a vampirella movie what happened was Hammer was going through some bad times. The late 60s were not good to Hammer films. Mm. Because it, it was sort of, remember how Roger Corman got pissed off when Jaws was made and he, 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 he gave that great quote about Hollywood's finally caught on to our formula? Oh. That's exactly what happened when Warner Brothers started making Rosemary's Baby and you had all these mainstream gothic horror films made by studios. Hammer took a huge hit. So Hammer was supposed to be making Vampirella. It was supposed to star Caroline Monroe as Vampirella, although she had turned it down because of all the nudity that was involved. Ooh. So they got a, they got a different actress. Cause you gotta remember at this point, comic book movies are a super rarity. Barbarella is really the only comic book movie. Cause I'm I'm not counting like the Flash Gordon movies and stuff because they're based off comic strips. Mm. It's technically different. Barbarella was really the only comic book movie at this point. So this was risky in that regard, but it had the horror elements that you could absolutely see Hammer having made and made properly. Hammer was doing anything they could to stay alive at this point. The reason that this movie didn't get made is so stupid. Warren, who owned the Vampirella character, wouldn't give up the merchandising rights. Ugh. God. That's, that's usually what it was. For like the earlier comic book movies, it was that sort of like petty, petty squabbling over rights issues and stuff. This never got made. Eventually, in 1996, Roger Corman, although Jim Wynorski directed the film, Vampirella did get made. With, and uh, I can tell with, you right now. Princess Katana. <laughs> and, and her, and her dad was Angus Scrim and Dracula was played by Roger Daltrey because why not? And he had a rat tail, remember? Oh, the rat tail yeah. hairstyle? <laughs> and he had a rat tail as Dracula, the rock star from the planet Draculon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. 
I, before you before you go further though, I will say they nailed the costume and the look of Vampirella. I thought like she was spot on, and I thought the costume was dead on, but the movie itself just was kind of a mess. And at least to Jim Wynorski's credit, he thinks that too. He has come out and said he thinks he screwed that movie up. I'll agree with you, Jim. You did. Okay, I love Roger Corman. Roger Corman cannot make a Vampirella movie the way it's supposed to be made. Especially in the 90s. Roger Corman's stuff, I love Roger Corman. Hell, I've talked tons about Roger Corman's films over the years. But when the industry sort of changed in the 90s, and even more so now, I love Roger Corman. I've done tons of movies that, uh, talked about tons of movies that Corman's produced. I've talked about, uh, his influence in the industry and whatnot. Unfortunately, a lot of that changed in the 90s. Cause if you go back and you look at, um, his older stuff, you look in the, the 60s and 70s and even in the 80s, films that he made then, there was, B movies, but there was a quality there. And I think in the 90s, especially the later half of the 90s, when they weren't getting the budgets that they used to and things changed and uh, like the the movies just didn't have the same level of quality. Uh, That always bummed me out because I think that they had a lot of good ideas that if they had made them back in the 70s or something, it would have been a better quality film. Yeah, like Vampirella and some of his other films, just bad. And then now, now it's just some of them are, are really terrible CGI and they're trying to compete with like the Asylum who just doesn't care about quality because they want to crank the film out as quickly as possible. Oh yeah. It's, yeah it, it, it pains me. It, it totally pains me when like a sort of prophilic kind of low budget filmmaker that made all these really great movies in the 70s and the 80s using practicals and little miniatures and stuff and then in the 2000s you see them just move to like really cheap CG. It's just it, it's it's happened with so many filmmakers like you know, John Carpenter has done that. Don Doler has kind of done that to an extent. And it really makes Charles Band. Charles Band. Yeah. It, it really makes you miss their uh, earlier work when, when the, it really it makes you appreciate things like miniatures and, and practical effects and, and like little rubber monsters and stuff, because it really does look like. There's nothing worse in a movie than bad CGI. Like, that's, it's the most noticeable thing. Whereas you can forgive a kind of hokey practical effect because you're like, you know what? A lot of effort went into that and they tried to shoot it in a clever way and stuff like that. Whereas bad CGI, it's just bad CGI. You could really see Hammer in the 70s probably making a decent Vampirella movie. Well, oh, that would have been, yeah. that would have been excellent. That's with, with Carolyn Monroe too? Oh, come on. Well, no, K- Carolyn Monroe turned it down. She didn't want to do the nudity. But I mean, there, it so would have, it would have been a different actress. But I mean, but. if they would have worked something out where because vampire look would i have liked to have seen a lot of nudity yeah if they would have worked something out with her Teliza soto didn't get naked in the corman one so i think and that's roger corman that's roger corman exactly (laughs) um but i mean if now granted they had other actresses they had a playboy playmate in there who got naked if they would have worked out something with her to where she didn't have to do nudity if maybe they were like okay well this needs nudity so we'll throw in some other actresses to kind of compensate for that instead of having the star get naked I think that would have been fine. I would have liked the fact that she was in the movie. All right, fine. So she doesn't get nude. It's not the end of the world. It still would work. She still, I think, would have been a good choice, and it would have been uh, would have been a pretty awesome. I I think it probably would have ended up being a pretty awesome film. 
Okay, well, what about, like, Lovecraft? We'll talk about more about Lovecraft in another episode. But at the Mountains of Madness, Guillermo del Toro has been trying to make this movie for years. He's now officially off the project. Last word is Ron Howard is making it, which is not a great choice. No. But, but you can totally see del Toro doing a Lovecraft adaptation properly. He's He'd been trying for decades. And when it finally fell apart for him, and this is one time I'm going to not side with the filmmaker, one of the reasons is he could not get over the fact he insisted the film needs to be rated R while the studio insisted it should be PG-13. This is one time I'm not going to agree with the filmmaker. That story does not need to be rated R. That story is about terror and horror. It's not about gore. It's not about nudity or graphicness. This, This story does not need to be rated R. It doesn't need it. Okay, here's the thing. Gore does not always translate to R. Uh, Like the ratings board, they'll rate something R for terror. So if he basically wanted to have more creative control over it, probably would not have been particularly gory. I mean, a lot of his films aren't really, you know, gore heavy. So I think he was going more for like the tonal side of things. And I think that's really where it came into. He didn't want to have to worry about making the film... And then having that, you know, making it, uh, maybe putting some language in there, maybe putting some moments of just sheer terror, and then having the studio be like, no, it got rated R, and we need it to be PG-13. He didn't want to have to deal with any of that. So I think that's a case where you're just kind of mistaking what the studios will and will not give a PG-13 and an R to. I think yeah. that's really what it boils down to. I think he just wanted to make sure that he had as much creative control as he could and didn't want to have to worry about the rating. He didn't want to have to worry to, you know, knock stuff down just to appease the, the critics and get a or appease the uh, the ratings board and get a PG-13 because they have done that in the past where they've taken stuff and oh this is too shocking for uh you know for uh, a PG-13 crowd so we have to you know take this out and and it's ridiculous because it's it's like it's not violent it's not gory it's just the the audacity of it and they want that out of there and that's one of the things that sucks about the ratings board is that it's subjective down to the people that are watching it after del toro dropped out they still wanted to make this movie as i said ron howard is currently attached to direct at one point in 2010 james cameron was going to produce no no director was assigned james cameron was going to produce it was going to be done in 3d a la avatar and tom cruise was attached to star <laughs> oh boy we all know that would have turned out great oh, yeah, right worked out so cow. well for the mummy <laughs> let's quit pussyfooting around and talk about the one everyone knows we have to talk about dune mm. or, or, or as as virginia madsen would say dune because they'd been trying to make dune since the 70s harlan ellison once wrote a script for it hr giger did the production design for it there was the alejandro jadorowski version i don't know how i feel about this after seeing all the behind the scenes and that, that jadorowski's dune documentary jadorowski was 100 percent the wrong person to try and make dune but at the same time he would have made an amazing batshit lsd inspired sci-fi movie he even says right in the documentary he wanted to rape the novel i'm <laughs> quoting i want to rape it i want to rape this novel well at least he's being honest about it you gotta there's some respect there and god yeah the all the behind the scenes stuff the the concept art uh everything that was uh being worked on by by giger and by dan o'bannon and all these people like 
what's amazing too is a lot of those concepts ended up being used in like Alien and all these other movies and stuff. And it's like there's so much that was recycled from all these like amazing ideas that would have been Jodorowsky's uh, Dune. My favorite little bit of that that was included in that documentary was when he went to go see Lynch's version of Dune, and he was so worried that Lynch's version was going to be like so much better because he was this like prophetic director and everything. He was so happy was at how so bad happy. it was. He was like, it was like it ended up being shit, and I was so happy about that or something like that. And he said something to that effect, which I thought was great. It it would have been an awful adaptation of Dune, but an amazing movie on its own. I mean, you've got Orson Welles as Baron Harkonnen. You've got Mick Jagger in there. You've got Salvador. You've got Salvador Dali as the Emperor of the Universe, oh who, who who is who is peeing in urinals shaped like dolphins, where you pee in their mouths. And it's just if you've ever seen any of these weird production designs and all of the psychedelic artwork, and this would have been an amazing cluster f- of a movie. Oh, it would have been wild. I, th- I think it would have become an even bigger uh, cult film than uh, Lynch's did. And now this is going to sound weird because we're talking millions of dollars. And you got to remember, this is still about two or three years before Star Wars. And all he was asking for for a budget was a million dollars less than what Star Wars would cost two years later. Wow. And and no studio would take the chance on this. I think that's that's sort of shocking in a way, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, and that too, it just shows the influence of Star Wars, like the industry really changed when uh, that movie did well because nobody thought that this big like space opera kind of thing could could actually work that's kind of the thing with um with movies in general nobody ever thinks it'll work somebody finally does it and it works and then everybody wants to do it because it worked so it's <laughs> it's just uh i can't do yeah it happens time and time again i never like when a person involved in the production especially if it's the director or the writer or something who actively uh wants to make it something else entirely where they don't like the property and they want to undo it or subvert it last jedi style Ugh. No, no, no. He out, no, no, no. He outright said he wants to rape the novel. But that's what I'm saying. He wanted to rape the novel. He wanted to do something that was wildly different from the source material. And I never like that. Now, would I like to have seen what he did? Yes. Would I have enjoyed it? I don't know. Uh, that's, <laughs> uh, it's because so, I don't really have any huge personal attachment to Dune. I know a lot of people that do. I'm not saying that I dislike the property. I'm saying that I like it, but, uh, it is not uh, like I don't have a passion for it like I had a passion for Star Wars mm. so I don't like seeing uh, his version especially seeing it when it would have come out well I wouldn't have seen it when it came out I was too young but um, I would have you know seen it years later and knowing that uh, about as much as I knew when I watched the Lynch Dune it probably would have had about the same effect I might have thought oh it's just really weird so I don't know uh, but I really I don't like when someone involved in a production just does not like what they're working on and they want to make something else especially hate when they wanted to make one movie they couldn't make that movie so they get attached to another property and then they try to shoehorn in that other movie into this it just oh that's that's always the worst yeah that never works the movie we got turned out really good but it was supposed to be a different style movie fear and loathing in las vegas i really like the terry gilliam version and i think for how disjointed the hunter thompson book is it does a relatively good job of it yeah captures it quite well but in 1985 alex cox well okay i don't like him but there are certain elements of his style i like alex cox was trying to make this as early as 1985 
I really think Alex Cox could have done justice to a Hunter Thompson story. He did everything wrong in pre-production. He was pissing people off. He pissed off Hunter Thompson himself, although part of that is Thompson's fault. Alex Cox wanted the title sequence to be animated by Ralph Bakshi in Ralph Steadman's style. Hunter Thompson couldn't understand that. He literally, to Hunter Thompson, animation equals children's cartoons. He actually said, this cocksucker wants to put cartoons in my movie. Hmm. I can see him because he because Hunter Thompson couldn't understand animation and cartoons are not the same thing. It all fell apart. I really think Alex Cox could have actually done something really good. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. God, I could just see like Thompson in like a drunken stone stupor, getting really frustrated and just not understanding what the point was. Oh, I want to fuck fuck a put a children's cartoon in my movie. Fuck you! It's like no, it's just, it's just the <laughs> opening. We're just trying to capture the artwork on the book. Oh, I'm not doing some fucking kitty shit. Fuck off. Uh, Hunter Thompson is one of those weird guys who can scream at the top of his lungs and still mumble incoherently at the same time, <laughs> yeah. which is c- quite a feat, you know? I think, uh, like, uh, going back to the Gilliam one that we ended up getting, like, Johnny Depp really captured that perfectly. Like, God, that he put in a great performance. Well, it still would have been Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was actually cast by Alex Cox. Oh, wow. So it was actually down to... Johnny Depp or, and this seems a little bit weird, but I can sort of see it, John Cusack was the second choice. Huh. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I think he, he maybe would have been able to do it. He's got sort of like a weird kind of vibe to him. I could, I could see it possibly working. Most likely probably what would have happened was, cause when did the, when did the Johnny Depp one come out? Like late nineties? 96, I think. Maybe 97, something like that. Yeah. It's possible that uh, he could have made it in the eighties and it would have been cool and we still would have ended up getting, it, but it would have been considered a remake, but it would have been uh, the Johnny Depp version you know in the 90s so i think uh it would be neat if both versions existed there would be a bill murray hunter thompson a john cusack hunter thompson and a johnny depp hunter thompson it would almost like it almost be turning thompson into like like a james bond figure or something <laughs> all these like different actors playing him in different eras and they're all kind of like you you appreciate all of them for for different reasons like, i do i do think that would have been really cool but then, speaking of Terry Gilliam, who did Fear and Loathing, he was supposed to adapt Watchmen. Mm. After Watchmen, the comic became such a huge success. The fact that this wasn't the first to do it, but to have an adult-oriented comic book like this hit mainstream attention. It was being covered on the news. Rolling Stone was having Alan Moore in the issues talking about it. Watchmen, along with Dark Knight Returns, kind of achieved a weird pop culture status for comic books. Mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam was hired to make a movie. Sam Hamm, the the writer of the first Batman movie, the Tim Burton one, wrote the screenplay. And this was almost another Jodorowsky's Dune. Gilliam did not want to adapt to the story. He wanted to make up his own story using the same plot. It was bizarre. And some of the casting he tried to get, some of this would have worked. Like, he wanted Robert De Niro for the comedian. Oh, Totally could have seen that. Yeah, he, that would have worked either for uh, Rorschach or Comedian for sure. He would have nailed it. No, Rorschach, he wanted Robin Williams. Oh, wow. And again, I totally could see that working for the era we're talking what, about uh, What year was this going to be made? 87. 87. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would have been really cool. The, on, the only thing is, now, part of me hates this and part of me loves it. Sam Hamm's ending would have pissed everybody off, both fans of the comic and not fans of the comic. At the end of Sam Hamm's script, 
Dr. Manhattan blasts, the comedian doesn't die in this version, he's a main character through the whole thing, mm. blasts the comedian, well, Rorschach doesn't die either, I guess. Dr. Manhattan blasts the comedian, Rorschach, and Silk Spectre into an alternate reality. And it's our reality, where they're in costume walking down the street with everyone weirdly looking at them, and they pick up a Watchmen comic book and find out that they're comic book characters. Oh, that's a... I don't, I don't know how that would have worked, though, for audiences, you know? I feel like directed by, by Gilliam though it would have uh, would have looked very interesting though. So I, I feel like his style would have suited Watchmen quite well. But and that's that's definitely like a, a f you ending. Like that's that's really not. It's not a wink and a nod. It's not breaking the fourth wall. Like that's that sounds like it's setting out to to make the audience angry. That would have most likely. I don't know if it would have angered the audience or it would have uh, just been like such a what the. F yeah. So I don't know. I think I don't think audiences would have been particularly ready for it back then. But right now, uh, I don't think that if they were to do something like that, I think people in general would just uh, be mad more at, more because it's they're not looking at it as the deconstruction of the hero. They're looking as what it's supposed to be. They'd be looking at you know where's Spider Man, which. <laughs> Well, okay, then let's talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man, you know, we didn't get a Spider-Man movie until 2001. And no, I know to our foreign listeners, you guys had Spider-Man movies. Those were just episodes of the TV show edited together and released theatrically overseas. Yeah, I was going to say, Those we had a Japanese Spider-Man with a machine gun. Those aren't Spider-Man yes, movies. Yes, they are. Canon had the rights to Spider-Man. And Galan and Globus had no idea what they had. They, they literally, Ted Newsom wrote the script for Canon. He said he was paid an obscene amount of money. I don't know how much that is, but with Canon, that's not surprising. Wasn't that going to be but, directed by uh, Cameron? I, I'll get to that. Okay. Yes and well, no. Well, wasn't Pune? So, Pune was, was doing it. Yes, yes I'll, I'll okay, get to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> At this point, no. So at this point, Galan and Globus, they didn't really know what, what Spider-Man was. They, uh, and this is what Ted Newsom has said in an interview. They literally thought this was like the Wolfman, where a man gets bit by a spider and then turns into a spider and kills people. They thought this was a horror <laughs> film, that this would be a horror film. They didn't know what Spider-Man was. They just, they bought the rights because it was something that was popular. So they didn't know what Spider-Man was. And it sounds to me like they were kind of disappointed when they found out what Spider-Man actually was. In initially, Toby Hooper was going to direct it, mm. but then he but then he moved on to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 for canon. So Toby Hooper dropped out. Then James Cameron was not going to direct it, but James Cameron wrote. Uh, he never they, he didn't write a script. He he wrote a treatment which is about five times longer than a normal treatment, so it's been nicknamed the Spider-Man Scriptment, because it's like a script and a treatment jumbled together. And his version, he wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock, and Dr. Octopus had a catchphrase, Okie dokie! That was said like 70 times. Oh, in God. It. Every, oh every God. time he this, left this something, been, uh, Doc, Doc Ock would go, okie dokie. This, this pretty much predicted uh, Batman and Robin. When Cameron moved on, he moved on to do Aliens for Fox. Then Albert Pune was attached. And then like a couple of other different other, directors were attached. Hold on. There's other stuff in the script, though, that I feel like needs to be mentioned. Like Cameron wrote some weird stuff for Spider-Man to do. Like there was going to be like a love scene with him and Mary, with uh, Spider-Man and Mary 
Jane, like in a big web. What? Which, which you actually, that, that was made into a cover of a comic years later. Yeah. But, but also, when Albert Pune was attached. Now, you might remember, right around this era, they had two live action Spider-Man covers on the comics, where it was clearly you know, an actor in a costume. Those were promo photos. Which is, you know, th- those were promo photos of the actor. Mm. Because the actor that they hired, they were gonna, Cyborg works into this strangely. Because you can't do CGI or anything at this point. So they were going to shoot all the Peter Parker footage at one point, and then Albert Pean would go on to shoot Cyborg while the actor bulked up so they could then shoot all of the Spider-Man footage when he has to be more muscular two months later. Right. None of that ever happened. After Cyborg, Cyborg was the last movie that Canon ever released before officially going bankrupt. Yes, I know they released Captain America and stuff, but that was post-bankruptcy, and that's a whole different thing. Spider-Man had been in development as a movie for almost 30 years before it actually happened. Yeah. Throughout the years, like, they were going to... I've heard rumors that they wanted Tom Cruise as Parker. I've heard Michael J. Fox. Like I've and Michael J. Fox would have been fun. I actually I would quite enjoy that. But this is uh, one of those like the Spider-Man one is one I really wish would have gotten made because it, it would have been such a fantastic little uh, oddity. I'm I'm going off Albert Pune's Captain America. <laughs> it probably would have been fun in its own way, but not a good but movie. Just wrong. <laughs> I would have loved it. Uh, a Spider-Man movie from Canon. I, I would have loved either version. I would have loved them to do the superhero version, or I would have loved for them to do the guy who gets bit by spider turns into a <laughs> spider wolf. A Spider-Man. A Spider-Man. Uh, and a, a were-spider, I guess, and goes yeah. around killing people. And like Either version, to me, sounds like what would have been one of the greatest things ever. Of course, uh, Golem and Globus thought that that's what it was. Like, I'm not at all surprised by that. Yes, and it, it would have starred uh, Boogaloo Shrimp and... Uh, <laughs> Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris, oh my god. Oh, the, the, vil- the villain would have been Charles Bronson. Oh my yes. god, I, I want to build a time machine and go back and give them money to make <laughs> this happen. But, but then another long ingestation movie, Judge Dredd. Yeah. I remember the first time I read Judge Dredd was being made into a movie was in 1989. It was in some of the comic book magazines that been, Judge uh, Dredd is finally being it made. Been earlier than that, because remember, RoboCop was originally going to be Judge Dredd. That was 87. I'm just saying that that's the first time I remember definitively we are making a Judge Dredd movie. Mm. Okay, well, let's leave RoboCop out because it's it's not plagiarism, but they kind of ripped off Judge well, the Dredd. Thing with, um, as as well, it was it was going to be Judge Dredd. They had made like maquettes of of Dredd and everything too, like earlier on in in production. Obviously, this was I think this was before Paul Verhoeven actually stepped in, but I believe it was still Michael Miner writing and stuff like that. Or not Michael Miner. Um, Ed Steve Newmeyer. Newmeyer, Ed Newmeyer, yeah, had had been putting the project together in 2000 AD, was connected to them, and then there was like a rights issue, so they had to scrap all of the maquettes and all that stuff. But then like Verhoeven and Newmeyer hooked up, and they kind of looked at the the script and tooled around with it, and you can definitely still see elements of Dread in there, you know, like um, Ann Lewis and Robo are, are a lot like uh, Dread and Anderson and all this stuff, and the the corruption and the sort of dystopian vibe of everything. Um, so you can definitely see that there was a, a dread movie in there at some point. 
They went, now I'm going back a few years. Ed Newmeyer was meeting with the people about, I'm trying to remember what the timeline was. Basically, the, the people that were making the Judge Dredd movie and Ed Newmeyer, they were all meeting with the same people, unbeknownst to each other at the time, both trying to get this, you know, get the same thing. It's like they wanted, they both wanted to do a Judge Dredd movie and they both had things kind of in, like, uh, already along, but it's just, it kept shifting back and forth and finally it ended up going, uh, in the direction that it went. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that it did because we wouldn't have RoboCop otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, we ended up getting something really cool out of it. Right. I agree with that. What would an 80s, like I said, leave RoboCop aside for this. What would an 80s Judge Dredd movie have been like? Mm. There are things I like about the 1995 film. I think the production design looks amazing. The costumes, the props, it looks like it should Aesthetically, look. Aesthetically, it's great, yeah. But in the 80s, I don't know things had a different feel especially if you were reading the 2000 AD books at the time they were in a particularly mean spirited period of the comics at that time yeah I could definitely I'm see. really curious I could see. I'm really curious like in an alternate reality I'm sure like there's there's like a Verhoeven Judge Dredd film and it's likely very bloody it's likely very dark, bleak, politically satirical as, as Verhoeven tends to be. Aesthetically, I could see it looking very much like Blade Runner. You could have like these kind of set pieces and matte paintings of these kind of futuristic cities with these airships floating around with these like satirical commercials. Dread himself, I imagine, would have looked really cool it would have like he'd have like the big golden shoulder things and the the helmet and everything but i could imagine the suit would be kind of kind of worn down looking a lot like it was in the uh the dread film we got later on that was a lot more kind of dark and heavy and, and bloody and stuff like i imagine it probably would have been a lot like uh like that one but of course with um a lot more genuinely 80s I would have liked to have seen it. I think it definitely, it would have been maybe a little bit more focused. I knew you'd say that. I, <laughs> I like, I like the Stallone version, uh, for the, the aesthetics of it. I'm actually doing a video on it, uh, for later in the year. I like the, the look of Mega City and the outfit and everything. I think that they nailed all of that. It's just, Stallone really armchair directed it. His ego was very big at the time. And I think that he altered a little bit too much. I do believe, though, if it maybe would have been not a Judge Dredd movie, like it may have been perceived a little bit better. But because it was Judge Dredd, you had a lot of people that were fans of it that were angry. And also there were a lot of people that were just angry for no reason whatsoever. They they never even heard of Dredd, but they were still angry. There are people that were just being like critics of Stallone, basically. At least at least an 80s version probably would not have had Rob Schneider. No, no, an 80s version. So. Although, although the Stallone loved Rob Schneider. He was the reason why he put him in the film. He thought, oh. I know, from Demolition, from Demolition. He Man, thought he yeah. was hilarious, yeah. and they became really good friends, and he put him in the film, and he, he thought that everything he did was gold. I, Schneider was actually, he worked a lot better in Demolition Man, and Demolition Man was just a better movie in general. For a Judge Dredd story, make a Judge Dredd movie that's not about Judge Dredd, and I think in the 80s, they really could have done this. Make the America storyline, mm -hmm. where Judge Dredd is in it. But he is not a main character in it. But he influences the events. The America story is the best thing that has ever 
come out from Judge Dredd. I couldn't believe the gut punch of those three issues for America. That would make an amazing Judge Dredd movie, especially because, like I said, Judge Dredd is just one of the people in it. It's not a Judge Dredd story. Mm. It's a story with Judge Dredd in it's it. It's more about which, the you, uh, the world that he lives in and stuff like that, a bleakness of, of that world. And, and again, like, you attach, like, Verhoeven to something like that and you get his aesthetics with it. That would have been just, just wonderful uh, to see as an 80s dread movie. Well, then let's end up talking about the movie none of us none of us actually want to see that they've been trying to make for years, and that is Beverly Hills Cop 4. Oh, no. They've been threatening for years. Ever since Beverly Hills Cop 3 came out, Eddie Murphy, uh, you know, I want to make Beverly Hills Cop 4. We're, we're making Beverly Hills Cop 4. No, don't. First of all, it, it wouldn't even be Beverly Hills Cop. This is my title, but it would be London Hills Cop. Axel Foley gets transferred to Scotland Yard, oh. and look at all the wacky fish-out-of-water scenarios with him trying to solve a crime in London. Is that what they're no. trying to make? That's what they were. It, the project is probably permanently dead. A few years ago, they made a pilot for a, a Beverly Hills Cop TV series, mm. and it, it would continue with everything. Axel Foley was in it, but he was not the main character. He's the captain now, and his son is the main character, and they said if this went to series, Eddie Murphy would appear in three or four episodes in the first season. This would not be about Axel Foley, but about his son. It was apparently so bad that even with the Beverly Hills Cop name attached to it, Fox will not put it out as an extra on a DVD or anything because it's supposed to be embarrassingly wow. bad of a pilot for Beverly Hills Cop the show. That's a horrible story. So what, he's the police captain now and his son is a cop and it's like off that's terrible kind of the new thing though it's like because now they want to do the reboots and so they'll have it be the sun so they can pass the torch to soft the next generation <laughs> the sun, yeah imagine if they imagine if they did that with like freddy krueger or jason or something <laughs> here son here's my mask and my machete carry on my name and it's like okay dad it but just yeah, but, but, okay but let's <laughs> let's leave the pilot aside like i said through the bulk of the 90s even in the early 2000s they were still talking there's going to be a fourth beverly hills cop we're going to make it i don't think we need a fourth beverly hills cop beverly hills cop 3 did enough damage just stop yeah we didn't need a third one Those well we got beverly hills cop great. 4 it was called metro metro sucked oh. though yeah exactly that's what i'm exactly <laughs> That's my my point. But he wasn't in London in Metro. Oh, they, they, God. they couldn't do no, but they couldn't do they they couldn't do Beverly Hills Cop. They were probably still holding out hope that they could do London Hills Cop, but they uh they decided to do Metro and uh I don't know, like Eddie, I man, go back and watch Raw and Delirious like Netflix just offered him some obscene amount of money to do like his first stand-up special in a long time and mm. Eddie just doesn't have it anymore. No. I don't know what the the Dolomite biopic looks pretty he good. He actually honestly. he actually looks like he's enjoying himself. When I saw that trailer for that yeah and this is the first time in a long time it looked like eddie murphy was enjoying himself at making a movie well yeah, yeah. this looks like something he really uh cares about like i think he's probably been a fan of of uh, rudy ray moore for like the longest time in the in the dolomite movies and stuff so i i definitely see this one being fun and hopefully it'll it'll kind of be the the return of of eddie murphy the eddie murphy we all know and love the eddie murphy that was 
gasp and shock. Funny. I, I, the, the, the thing I find the most funny about the Dolomite movie is it's all about black exploitation and black culture and black representation directed by a white guy written by two white Jews. <laughs> I, I just think that's hilarious. That is actually pretty goddamn funny. Well, I mean, if you go back and you look at a lot of the old black exploitation, a lot of the old black exploitation was like Larry Cohen, and yeah. you know there were a lot of white the, the directors, Shaft white novels. Producers. The Shaft novels, Cecil, were written by a white Jew. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think that the Dolomite movie um, is one of the most exciting things. I like the cast is phenomenal. I'm so happy for it. I really, really want it to be good. I know they're going to embellish it. We want to hear from the audience. What development hell movies did we miss? Because I had a lot more on my list we never got a chance to talk about. Roger Rabbit. But not just that. There are so many others, man. Final thoughts on the development hells we've talked about. Do you think that these movies would have been good had they come out when they were meant to? Or are these projects like Mephisto and Onyx at the Mountains of Madness that are better left in the in the pipe dream phase? so weird because there's certain films that um, they evolve and they actually become better because they've gone through years of development hell. And then there's other ones that it's just they should never be made and they should be buried. Kira. Neuromancer. But I think that it's Neuromancer. There's certain things that, especially right now, whenever I hear about something that uh, I really am passionate about that is either getting a, a late sequel or the, um, or is finally coming out after years of development hell i get worried because right now uh we're in this really weird time with cinema where everything is being a little bit too mass market appealed and i think that they're trying to they're trying to appeal to everybody and they're just making these very very bland mediocre films now i'm not saying across the board but i'm saying any, the majority of films that are over a hundred million dollars seem to be very focus tested down to try to appeal to everybody and in that way it ends up appealing to nobody or at least ends up not appealing to me very much, uh, which I know I'm not the big But you are a nobody, so it counts. I am a nobody, so it counts. But I'm just saying, in general, it just seems like a lot of people are becoming very disenfranchised because they're making these films that are trying to appeal to everybody, and in essence, like I said just a minute ago, they're appealing to nobody, and they just, they suck. And it's just, they're they're not fun, they're not enjoyable, they're taking a lot of the piss out of them. And I, I look forward to... These movies where they actually take risks, they do something unique, they do something different, or at the very end of the day, they just say, hey, we want to make a movie that's enjoyable, and we want to make it for people who like this, and they just do it, and it comes out, and people enjoy it, rather than yeah. saying, okay, well, we need to make this film, and it needs to appeal to this demographic, and this demographic, and this demographic, and it ends up just being shit. So, uh, going back to the development hell thing, certain, it really depends. It's sad when certain films just flounder and can't get made, and then it's weird when another property comes along, it's been out for a year, and they're already optioning it for a film, and then a year later it's made. Uh, so, I don't know, I'm kind of in the middle. I think sometimes development hell is a good thing, because it prevents a piece of from happening, and other times it evolves into something better. Other times it just uh, ends up being a big pile of mediocrity, like Speed Racer took him 25 years, I think, to make. Well, I think with these, these films, then, uh, fuck, fuck, man, like, they, they want to make the Mountains of Madness, but it's like, haven't we already seen that, like, three times? What the fuck do you think the thing was? You bunch of fucking idiots. Tell me about the fucking golf shoes, man. All right, on that note, where can we find Hunter Gogic? <laughs> Making very Hunter S. Thompson-like rambles on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinematicus, YouTube, The Cinematicus, 1201beyond.com, and at Patreon at Cinematica. Where can we find Cecil? 
Uh, you can find me at goodbadflix.com as well as uh, goodbadflix on uh, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. You can find me, 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.